0: This podcast you're about to listen to is an interview that I did with Charlie Tishiner, the Facebook disruptor. And he has a crazy story. From heroin addict and pizza boy to managing over a million dollars a day for Nissan and now he teaches how to do tons of this stuff Charlie's gonna break down what he calls his one campaign blueprint how they're leveraging broad for massive scale how they're being incredibly simplified and very uh focused with their advertising in a way that doesn't take a billion hours to manage uh and then he shares his very strong feedback on some metrics like return on ad spend ROAS, what so many of us in the advertising world know and love and so many people flaunted around. So please enjoy this episode with Charlie Tishner. Everybody today I have I have Charlie T Tishner. And he is known as the Facebook disruptor. Um, and whenever I bring someone on that is like super nerdy and super talented, nerdy in a good way, and very talented, um, I get really excited because, especially when it's someone that I've actually followed for, I, pro- I probably, you probably don't know this. I followed you for like six months now. Um, oh, hey, I was first introduced hey. to you by the founder of Zero Shoes, who I had on my podcast. Um, I was at a marketing meeting at the round table with their whole marketing team. And he's like, have you heard of this guy named the Facebook disruptor. And I'm like, never heard of him. And this back in October of last year. And he uh, he tells me, you need to check this out. So we check it out. I get on your newsletter. I follow you on Instagram and I've been watching all your stuff. And I'm like, I put you on my my wish list of people to get on here, man. So I'm excited you're here. But for everybody listening, I just wanna, I'm just gonna lay out the rap sheet real fast. So you you kind of lean in and listen here. Um, Let's do Charlie it. has done, has over a decade of experience in Facebook ads. Oh. That's a lot of experience. Um, over a billion dollars in revenue driven. He has a client list of different eight, nine-figure direct-to-consumer and some SaaS brands. Uh, he has worked with brands like CBS Television, Domino's, <laughs> Nissan, Jamba Juice, and New Balance. I bet your dad is so proud, New Balance
1: man. You even yeah, got some I, stuff I, I that. was part of the. I don't know if you remember about five, six years ago, New Balance tried to get younger. Okay. Like it used to be like the mall Walker brand and then they tried to go to like late twenties, but I was behind that. We got into like 35, 38, but yeah, that was, you know, I, at the same time I was doing Disney stuff and I worked with Activision and, you know, Levi's and Apple and yeah, you know, I used wow. to be, you know, wow. I was, I was supervisor of the LA office at Omnicom performance media called resolution media. So seven figure daily budgets for, just a ton of evil international conglomerate companies so it's been a lot of fun <laughs> that's amazing so
0: now you are you call yourself a facebook disruptor why do you call yourself that
1: um honestly it came from it was originally ct the disruptors it was a twitter account because when i first got onto twitter cuz i was doing some stuff with dtc newsletter and pilot house mm-hmm. and i got a twitter account and i hadn't had one and I was just excited because I had, over the years before that, i been banned from every Facebook group where people talk about ads because I was bad for business for every guru and their, like, nonsense funnels. And so when I finally made it back, I was like, oh, I'm going to be able to talk to all the other people from the Disruptor group because I was in the founding core five, six brands in the Facebook Disruptor group. Content uh, okay. Nutrition, Purple Mattresses, Smile Direct Club, Movement Watches, and Match Group.
0: Nice. I'm um, wearing a movement watch right now. I love that. Nice. That's awesome. Okay, cool.
1: Um, and I was head up at 310 Nutrition at the time. Um, but yeah, work with, so I was part of the original core. And mm-hmm. so I was just like, oh, cool. I'm going to meet, I'm going to finally get the chance to talk to all these people again. And I realized that like none of them were public about it, mm-hmm. but I had already, it took me like three, four months to realize that. And I had already basically been branded at that point. And uh, I realized, you know, I realized that the world had moved on from the what I had seen in 2015, 2016 of all these people teaching really bad information. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the things that I had brought were apparently really uh, disruptive to bad thinking. And so I just kind of leaned into it. And to be fair, like it, it fit. Uh, mm. And I, I, I try to say that as it's not there to be, I'm not trying to be uh, I, I don't want to be, well, I guess you know, comp, uh, argumentative or mm, try to be okay. contrarian. I instead want to focus on helping people fo- helping people think in a, in, a, in a more productive manner than the myopic view that most media buyers have been taught to because they were trained by somebody that doesn't know how Facebook works or don't care about mm. businesses' bottom line as a standard operating procedure. And yeah. I think let's actually care about things that matter instead of the ego of the marketer, and that's going to make marketers a lot stronger and help prevent a lot of the damage that's been done by most marketers to most brands. Wow. You, it's pretty crazy. Um, I agree with all,
0: I love that. I think that's great. I think there's just so much, the problem, in the marketing world, because we're both in it no longer than I, the ego is like the largest thing. I can't stand it. So when I see like, you'll never see me in front of a car in an ad, you'll never see oh. like my my ads are goofy, us like having fun and doing stuff like, and, and, and your stuff that I've seen is very similar. So I love that you've really stayed true to that. Um, so something that I watched not too long ago, and I think it was like a week and a half or two weeks ago. So you released a video and you called it from delivering pizzas to running ads for Nissan. And I know in that at some point, I'd love to like, for you to just take us back a little bit here, um, because I know at some point you were a, you were a heroin addict, a Mm -hmm. pizza boy, and now you've gone on to not only work with big brands, but now teach people how to do the same thing. Like how did those worlds even connect?
1: Like, can you just take, bring us through that story to where you are now? Um, Um, I mean, basically. So after high school, I became a pretty big drug addict, moved, to, went to college, got a gig as a touring musician, you know, I did that thing. I was a radio personality on Sirius XM and I was rewarded for that kind of partying. But I got really good at self-promotion to the point where other people paid me to help promote them. And, you know, mm. you learn a skill when you're a touring musician and a radio personality. And um, you know, I went from answering phones at a AM radio station on my own college radio to being an afternoon drive time host on Bubba the Love Sponge. And then the Hulk Hogan sex tape happened that ruined my radio career. A bunch of people caught charges and I basically fled Florida, um, to move to LA. And cool.
0: Wait, hold, on, hold on a second.
1: Yeah. Let, let's just rewind
0: real quick. What, what happened there? Hulk Hogan so, sex tape so
2: and how Hulk did you Hogan get into that? Sex
1: tape. <laughs> Bubba the Love Sponge filmed Hulk Hogan having sex with Bubba's wife and they were in on it was like a Florida thing whatever and no judgment um but then leaked it to Gawker and there was a huge scandal and as a result Hulk Hogan and Howard Stern were the underwriters of Bubba Love Sponges radio network on Sirius.xm it was an extension of the Howard Stern radio network Uh. and as a result of that happening they were just like well we're gonna pull our funding and I went from being an afternoon drive host with a couple million listeners around the world to um chains on the door and it was a now a Howard Stern replay channel. Wow. Um and many other things had happened but I basically had the choice of like jails institutions or death and I moved like 2500 miles and got sober. Wow. That's and crazy. Okay. I started to do organic social media stuff for for other things and I got a job my first gig uh, was uh doing data entry at some like illegitimate social media agency on Hollywood Boulevard for like 10 bucks an hour. And I ended up automating all my work. I ended up basically doing the work of like eight people in a couple of hours. I watched all of The Wire at my desk in about two and a half months before I got fired. And I brought their biggest client with me. And Mm. they started a social agency just doing organic growth hacking. Ended up going on AMC show, The Pitch. And I was part of their last episode. Once they put me on TV, they canceled the show. Uh, we won the episode. They just saved the best flowers. for the last.
0: That was it. They saved the best for last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: they were like, "This, no, you're done. You're done. Cut. <laughs> yeah, funding pulled. Who, who made? Like, I'm not even on screen for that much for that long. But um so we won that, and mm. then because of getting that business, my business partner at the time was also my attorney, mm. and he had designed the paperwork. So basically, the, the the ink wasn't dry on that contract, and I was fired. And uh, I took the biggest clients with me again. And my biggest client at the time fired me because one day he put in a hundred bucks into Facebook to run ads. And he's like, dude, uh, I, I spent a hundred bucks on ads. It pays, it did more for me than paying you 2000 a month does. Mm. And he honored the contract, paid it out, but it was like, we're done. And, uh, the next day I put my credit card in Facebook and started promoting my band and within three months I was running stuff for like Jamba Juice and Viking river cruises. Within mm. six months, I was doing things for like Jane Silent Bob and Robert Rodriguez movies, and you know, Carrie Gayner non anti smoking stuff. Mm. And within nine months, I was supervisor at the OmniCom office because literally having run ads for nine months meant that I was one of the top five most experienced, top five percent most experienced people. And like I had performance marketing chops at agencies doing multiple things, and I have an MBA. And, uh, you know, I've got a couple college degrees, because, fun fact, uh, if you go to college, I didn't realize the ramifications of student loans, but, like, I just kept getting paid. I just kept getting giant checks written to me for just showing up to school. So I ended up collecting a whole bunch of pay, uh, like, uh, a whole bunch of checks uh, instead of having real jobs. But I just created a mountain of, like, student loan debt, which I've since paid off. But, like, uh, that's how I kind of sustained myself, that and wow. being a musician. Um, but so i ended up showing up with like three college degrees an mba in business from the harvard business review and having more experience than everybody else and running ads on facebook and they were like hey we need somebody to manage like seven figures a day for these big brands and we need to do very specific things and i had the ability to talk walk the walk and talk the talk and do scientific case studies so i got put in role where basically uh seven figures a day no mm-hmm. real overhead and my bosses had no idea how to do what i was doing and so it was the wild west for a little bit and that was a lot of fun and i was a bad employee like i didn't know how to use outlook i was showing up in like band t-shirts and cowboy boots and ripped jeans and like i was like <laughs> i had a gig last night to just show up in whatever i was wearing like that's amazing uh you know i was more eccentric than the creative directors at shia day and all of those good guys and uh you know, I, I bounced around from agency to agency basically. I'd work there for six to nine months. I get fired, I get my boss's job at the spot next door. And eventually mm. I went client side, vendor side, and really just had a huge, just very round experience to get me to that place. And now I've been in a spot where, you know, over the last five years, I think I'm personally a partner in my fourth business that's gonna go from, like they brought me in doing 50k a month a year and a half ago, and now we do a million a week. Wow. That's the fourth time in the last five years I've done that, and I'm about to join my fifth one uh, that's on a similar rate, and and I've also grown my own stuff. And it's now uh, it's not lucky; it's a process, and yeah. so I've really just tried to take what I've learned and make it readily accessible to people. And generally, that is difficult for people to take in, but I look at it as a from a business perspective. And that means that uh, what I have to say comes from a different place. And that's just come from my background of having to make a million dollars a day work is a lot different than somebody trying to keep a client that's spending 30,000 a month by looking better on a report so that somebody else gets fired, even though I'm not doing any decent work. And that just gives me a different perspective. Every time I hear a, like that is
0: a, that's probably one of the craziest stories I've actually heard on the podcast. Cause I've heard some crazy, like from here to there zero shoes, Steven Sashin came in, pitched on shark tank. They wanted all his business. He turned them down and now he he did 33 million last year, whatever it is. So like, I hear stories like that. And I'm like, that's really inspiring. And then when you hear the ones and it's like, man. You were a pizza driver, you became a
1: serious exam in your bus fired from Pizza Hut. Like that's how <laughs> bad of a pizza delivery I took 3 months and they fired me. Like that's how bad I was. And I had to make choices every day between like gas, food and drugs. Like wow. so like I-, I know what that looks like. And to be fair, mm-hmm. like this summer I'm going to buy a place in Chelsea. as my like second house. It's been 10 years. This is stupid. Like it is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But it's not anything that like, I'm not necessarily specially unique. So I'm just trying to make that accessible for everybody.
0: I, I, it's always inspiring to me to hear when someone hits that bottom of the barrel, when you hit that that life altering moment. And I feel that many people have, I had that moment for me and that was like six years ago. Not as, yours is really extreme to be in that position, man. But like when you have that, You're in a core, you feel back in a corner. You have to choose. Am I going to fight? Am I going to leverage this pain, this fear, this everything that's going on to change my trajectory in a good way? Or am I going to let it just demolish me and to see that you were able to do that, to move into where you're at, you're about to buy a new place. You have four going into, I think you said your fifth business. That's unbelievable. Um, That takes a lot of mental fortitude to continue to do that, man. Um, well, well,
1: thank you. Yeah. I, um, I'm stubborn. I'll put it that way.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. My wife would agree. I probably share similar tendencies,
1: man. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Hey, it Um, works for some people. You just got to figure out the social aspects after that.
0: I want to talk. So you have something that you call the one campaign blueprint. I would like to talk about that if that's okay. But Mm -hmm. before we do though, um, I want to talk about mental fortitude. One of the greatest things, cause I, you know, I teach a lot of Facebook ads myself for e-commerce and one of the biggest barriers I think to many people winning is mental fortitude. They, they trust their emotions and they don't trust to trust the mathematics of the situation. Mm-hmm. They let their emotions get in, they start touching things. And, um, there's something that you said in a video that I, I wrote down that was really interesting to me. And you said, if you spend a million dollars a day, you go to sleep and you make a mistake with a comma, that's a $50,000 mistake. Yeah. That takes a lot. Like, I just, I, it, could you speak to like, what type of mental fortitude do you need to have to be a, an advertiser and to win at advertising? Do you have any advice on that? Because I mean, a million a day, that's a lot, right? Like most people listening to this are not going to get to that point. Uh, Sure. Like it requires a lot of mental fortitude to do this. And that was like an extreme example. You said that really just stuck out to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's something in the you have to there's a certain level of i think good entrepreneurs have dumb confidence and to be fair too i think a lot of anybody that excels great athletes great musicians like you can't be that good at something if you're not willing to say yes everybody knows this is a bad everybody knows this like you're not gonna be whoever it is but like if you the only people that stick with it are the ones that ignore all of that Hmm. and like when I first did it, the first like week or so, like I think I, I would never sleep more one, like 30, 45 minutes at a time because I'm terrified. Right? Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of like, I think the fear is a lot more damaging emotionally, mentally, and, and, and like physiologically than actually having it happen. It's like getting punched in the face. The fear of getting into a fight is so much worse than actually getting hit. Like you get hit and yeah. it sucks. But the pending fear of that happening forever and just avoiding that is so much more damaging to who you are mm-hmm. than it actually just happening and moving past it. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough that you know in that first seven to ten days, I legitimately made a mistake. It was like a fifty three thousand dollar mistake on an ad spend for like I think it was Wheel of Fortune during sweeps mm-hmm. week. and it was nothing other than just like I uh, like a typo. Wow! But like. I mean when you're spending a million a day a typo can do that you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> because that's also like nothing
2: mm.
1: you know i mm-hmm. mean like if you're spending 10 million a week fifty thousand dollars oops yeah oh well like, like like it's and that's staggering but like it, it it takes that spot so i've ultimately had these spots of what i like to do is address what is the biggest fear what is the biggest obstacle? And then can I obsess over overcoming that I, and really trying to take on whatever that thing is so like I can move on to the next thing? Because the honest truth is there's always going to be the biggest fear. There's always going to be the biggest obstacle. And also like as a kid, like if my parents like, oh, I'm gonna take away your toys or whatever it is, something else became the most important thing. Like no matter what it is, something will take that slot. But if you can address that most that biggest thing every time you overcome it you're going to get more and more momentum and take big leaps forward and you're never going to be able to move mountains if you worry about the pebbles if you're just trying to do this, all the small little things you're never going to get anywhere wow yeah and you know and i say like i just you know I, I i did another video about like 50k a month how to get to that place and what i realized when i was at the ad agency is the people i was working next to at Omnicom, or wherever else, just because we mentioned them earlier, um, if they did a really good job, they might make an extra $1,000 a month next year. And that's amazing. But we made a 20% commission on a seven figure daily spend, I was generating a couple hundred thousand dollars a day in revenue, Mm. and I was getting paid $75,000 a year. Wow. Mm. Like that puts perspective into just the magnitude of everything. And so for me, what that did was, it numbed me to the fear of the failure because the reward of embracing that and then overcoming it was so much more. Mm, So I I just, part of the reason I was a bad employee is because I actively went out and did as many weird things as I possibly could with ridiculous budgets. Um, Some of it I wasn't allowed to do. To be fair, it was probably a good move for them to move on. I wasn't a great employee there, but I learned a lot. And I've been able to share a lot of that with other people. So me being a bad employee there helps make, does more good than bad, I think. But the the, the mentality of, I almost kind of got fatalistic. And it's just like, I'm going to screw up. This is going to, there are things that are gonna go wrong and I can't plan for them. Mm-hmm. So let me put myself in the place where I have the most to gain. And then it becomes a game of just overcoming that biggest barrier. And wow. that is, massive, I I think, I don't know any successful people that don't get to that place by obsessing overcoming the bigger problems. The avoidance of solving the bigger problem doesn't get you anywhere.
0: That's good, man. Um, There's always going to be the next biggest fear. And, and, you know, I believe uh, advertising, especially paid media buying is such like a mental fortitude game that you, you level up as you go. Like, I think that you ascend through levels. The first time you spend a thousand a day or 2000 or 3000 or 5,000 or whatever that is a million uh you 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 were like thrown in the deep end it sounds like um but for the rest of us that are like growing our businesses you start to tear up through this but you have to have mental fortitude you have to trust the process you also have to try to like break things to get to that next level it sounds like um yeah which i which if we could i you know i'd love to let's segue into um the one campaign like if we're gonna get a little tactical um sure you've run a lot of ads and i've seen this or you've run a lot of ads spend in your experience Um, and I have a lot of different campaigns going, a lot of accounts we manage different types of campaigns, et cetera, but I've been seeing this ad for a, a course you have called the one campaign blueprint. Yeah. You willing to share that with us a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, and at a very high level, basically what we're talking about is Facebook's a machine learning algorithm. So what are you teaching it? and if you are looking at facebook as an investment portfolio like an investment banker why are you investing in places that aren't the best investment for your business maybe i want to invest where i'm getting 20 percent return versus a five so every time i invest to get a nickel i'm losing 15 cents because i could be getting 20 back or maybe I want to invest in the five because I can do it at ten times the volume of getting a 20% return back. Mm-hmm. And if Facebook's a machine learning algorithm, how do we design ourselves to best take advantage of doing that one job really well? And even at a million a day, I can tell you that I didn't run out of opportunity. Mm. And that's back when the CPMs were like two bucks. So like, Ooh. oh man. The glory yeah. days, uh, man. <laughs> and that was before, to be fair too, there was no Pixel. Like there was okay. no such thing as a conversion campaign at the time. Like I remember when the Pixel came in and to be fair, that put more people out of work than iOS 14 ever will.
0: I feel like I'm just sitting uh, in like my uh, my grandpa's living room and he's just telling me stories about the good old days before the Pixel and <laughs> <true. ended> the good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause I wasn't um, advertising them. The Pixel
1: was around when I started doing it. <laughs> gotcha. So then we get into, okay, well, what we're gonna do is say, I'm spending 300 a day, I'm spending 5000 a day, I'm spending 50000 a day. How do I make sure I'm spending as much of it as possible for the single best investment for my portfolio? Which is really just amplifying my business model. Um, Jordan's is by no means the best selling, is, is, is by no means more than like less than 1% of Nike's revenue. Like the Big Mac is, way down the list of where mcdonald's makes their money mm. right like the corvette isn't what chevrolet pays its pays its stock holders with right like that's not but but you you lead with what gets people into your business mm. and, and so with that being said i think so many people make the mistake of having well i'm gonna promote three offers why two of them are objectively worse for your bottom line and, and i do see people saying well you've got to promote all the things in the store. And I, I know a, a guy that's very popular in this space that's come up with this concept of contribution margin by ad and all of this stuff. And my point to that is like, you have no idea because you mm. also don't know where anybody is in their, in their customer journey. Mm. You also are chasing a lot of things. And the reason your accounts are unstable, the reason your business is so dynamic is because you're feeding into it by intru- you're trying to solve lack of confidence and instability by introducing more instability. Like the more creative testing you do, the more you're investing in things you don't have confidence in. Like you're hiring more employees on. And so a larger percentage of your work getting done in your business today is by people on day one. That's not how you're successful. Yes. And if you know one thing makes you how, if 80% of your money comes from 20% of your product line, why are you promoting the other 80? Oh. It's a liability. Hallelujah. And that's not the role of Facebook. So in the campaign structure how do we best leverage facebook's ai to become a good business partner to facebook because ultimately what we want to do is position ourselves to be the best business partner to facebook so we get the highest quality impressions so we show up as second in the news feed not 10th mm-hmm. like if you're the second if you're above the fold on instagram that's earned and it's cheaper than being 15 minutes into a doom scroll So how do we leverage, how do we become the best business partner so we're getting lower cost inventory that's higher quality where we don't have to change things out all the time because then also our machine learning algorithm is getting better and better at understanding how to treat this individual type of user. Mm -hmm. Which means also we're getting get better and better at our email flows and search and site optimization because we're not changing the type of person walking into the store. So the more campaigns you have inherently, the less stable and projectable your results are going to be and the more futile any efforts are in optimizing your efforts after the click. Mm -hmm. So like if you have five campaigns running, it is infinitely more difficult to fix what happens after the click in your business than if you have one. Um, So with that being said, what what I teach in that is really how to get down to that one thing, what that can look like. And I'll give it a sneak peek. This is like my famous, at this point now, famous like sticky note. I had some guy come to my house. He's like, can I take a picture with a sticky note? And I was like, yeah, sure. So this is our one campaign. We have one ad set that has our winning post IDs. Proven constants. They might not be the best ads in the world, but they're the ones that earn the most spend that have the most stable output. Mm. And we also know where they sit in the funnel by measuring their CPMs and their frequency. We know that some of them are prospecting, some are retargeting, et cetera. Then we have one or two dynamic creative tests following 322 method, which is something else we can get into at another time. We might not have enough time today, but you know, Google 322 or ask ChatGPT. Apparently it's in there now, which is fun. <laughs> uh, it's nice to know that I've in- contributed to ChatGPT. And the idea is these are all targeting broad, so age, gender, location, and it's a CBO. And so basically any ad that gets delivery has earned that delivery based on the meritocracy. Of the end user experience how good am i as a business partner to facebook Mm. and then if i'm a good business partner by giving people content they want to see and that positively moves the needle across my entire business my unit economics of the acquisition of revenue then it's good if it doesn't then it's bad And the more complicated your ad account, the less likely you are to be able to point to any one ad and say, well, the ROAS on this is great, the CPA on this is great. And I'll say, great, what happened to your bottom line because of that ad? Well, like, I can't know because I'm running all this other stuff. Like, okay, so what you told me is you're spending a lot of money and have no idea what anything's doing to your bottom line. Mm. That to me sounds terrifying, right? Mm. Like if I'm spending 10,000 a month and that really matters to me, if I'm spending 10,000 a day and that really matters to me, and you can't tell me the impact of any one of those investments on my overall efficiency as a business on the acquisition of revenue, then what are you doing? Because like you are telling me that you have no idea what you're doing and you're trying to just kind of measure these amorphous things in some way that you can't describe to me. So as a business owner, I'm looking at and saying, I'm giving you my money to manage what's going on, and you can't tell me what happens as a result of it. To me, that is a negligent financial manager. And sadly, that probably represents 90 95% of people running Facebook ads, which is why 90% of ad agencies fail 90% of their clients. Yeah. So the One oh. Campaign Blueprint talks about that stuff. And in Disruptor School and the Facebook Ads MBA program, we get so much deeper because that's easy to set up. Mm-hmm. It's now what do we do with that information? Because Facebook is software, so it works the same for everybody. That is the most efficient way of managing your ad account like an investment portfolio to leverage machine learning for stability, where you have an appreciating asset So your ads only get better if you don't touch them. Like literally, if you do nothing, it'll just get better over time. And then how to strategize around what tests to run and then all of the other things now that facebook is 45 minutes a week what are you gonna do with the rest of your business and the rest of your time so like that's what it's all built around so the one campaign sorts of teaches you that introductory piece Disruptor school says wait, right, how do we do all of that plus all of the other things in the business like and we have courses in there for master classes in there from like sarah Levenger on consumer psychology and stuff uh from this guy Glenn Rudin about brand positioning me on PSM which is what you should actually be measuring not ROAS or silly things like MER and contribution margin whatever and we're also getting stuff in from buddy Raul that's going to teach like Google ads Google search or Facebook marketers and how Jesse Bear from Mute6 is teaching like how to do onboarding as an ad agency so all the people that I know that are excellent you get to learn from all of them about how to do all the things now that Facebook is easy mm. because Facebook itself is extraordinarily easy and simple and if you don't feel that way about it it's because the people teaching you how to use it fundamentally don't understand how it works or the way that they're defining success isn't aligned with what you need from the investment and i don't know that in most situations that's not out of neglect or malice i think it's a lack of overall exposure to the impact of your work And just, I've been in situations where you literally, like, when you're spending a million a month, a million a week, a million a day, and you're not the only person at the table spending, and there's like Deloitte on the other side of the table, you need to have a really good answer that's stable enough that they don't need you. Otherwise you're never going to be able to exit the business. And all you really ever did was build yourself a day job where you're going to work harder and harder and harder and bring home less and less and less. Because I know plenty of people running eight figure businesses that take home a lot less than I do. And, and a lot of other people do that have just a simple system that produces high upside. Wow. So I think it's, it's in, it's, it's somewhere in that is is sort of what we talk about and, and how to take a look at things.
0: It's really interesting. Um, Every time I talk to someone who's like in our world and ecosystem, like what we, what we live and preach and do, um, it's always exciting to see overlap. So like one thing that you, you, I, I saw there were two, two steps that I had read on your, your blue one campaign blueprint that you talk about is you say, step one, stop wasting time with targeting, let the ads do it for you. And then step two is to run traffic to the lowest cost audience. Um, It's interesting because like we've been teaching for so long and telling our people, like it used to be, you go super mediocre, crappy ad, like whatever, just lob it out there to a super niche audience and you can gain some traction. And now it's, it's, we've seen a shift to where you need great ads to larger, broad, and you start to see, let the AI, you let the machine learning start to work in. Is that, is that your
1: belief as well? So is that like where um, you're in line with? So that change happened in 2018. Mm -hmm. So for the last five, six years, five years, four or five years, that's been the standard. Before 2018, Facebook operated like Google Display, where it was random distribution within an audience. So you had to target to make sure the right people saw your ads. In 2018, Facebook brought in widely available called something called Advanced Matching which leverage, which allowed you as the advertiser to leverage everybody else. So if you're learning a lead campaign, it's going to leverage everybody else that fires a lead pixel. If you're doing e-commerce, everybody else that adds the cart, everybody else that views products. What's the metadata on that product? For instance, when I was running New Balance, we found. At scale, two thirds of the money we spent where it was our ad, our business's first impression with the customer was somebody who had abandoned cart in the last seven days at one of our competitors. The idea is not that you have to create a funnel because you can't. The average customer journey is decades long. The idea is that you need to earn the attention when somebody is making that decision on their own right. You need to earn that place in their customer experience. And so ads do the targeting, because if you put in no parameters other than age, gender, location, Facebook's gonna show that ad to the person that most wants to see it. Mm. That's gonna have the best estimated action rate. So if the type of attention that you're buying isn't good for your business, the ad isn't good enough. Or the way you monetize that attention isn't good enough. So if you if you launch into uh, a broad mm-hmm.
0: audience like this, because because I can I can hear someone listening right now saying, um, Charlie, I've launched abroad. I've done exactly that, and I haven't seen traction within the three to seven days. Like, I haven't gone any. I've got no purchases. Insert whatever. What what's, sure. what would your response be to that? Is it the Do you think yeah. it's the ad then in that scenario?
1: Yeah, I think three things. Number one, mm-hmm. what happened to the rest of your business when you did that? the time i have a conversation with like man my business is great if i can just make facebook work it's gonna be awesome it's like well what happened well we did x y and z we've been trying the broad now for like a month it's just not working i'm not seeing any sales like but when you started broad did you start to earn a lot more money maybe your attribution isn't there but as soon as you went to broad your actual organic search went through the roof your mm-hmm. direct on google analytics went through the roof your search volume on google went up Your the performance of your organic social improved. Hmm. Facebook is a business model amplification device. It just says whatever you're doing, it's throwing more volume into whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I don't care if my results look worse on Facebook because that doesn't matter. The platform level performance means nothing. What matters is money in, money out. And so half the time that people say that, what they're really saying is Facebook's attribution isn't showing good sales on this, but my business is doing better. And so my thing is, why are you going to stop the thing that's helping you be more successful? Yeah, that's good. The amount- you know, I think most people <laughs> fall into one thing. They, they, they ask the wrong questions, they value the wrong metrics, and they uh, define success in the wrong way. And so here they're they're defining success by valuing the wrong metric, the CPA of the ad, the, the ROAS of the ad. Like that doesn't matter. That has nothing to do with business success. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, if you've been running interest groups and lookalikes and retargeting the, the twenty sixteen model of how to run ads, the thing that's been obsolete for five years, and you launch broad you're not good at making broad ads and you've trained the machine to need those training wheels. So you're not in, you have to invest in teaching your employees how to do a different job better. And so don't abandon it right away, start it at some manageable level. And then, as it begins to outperform the worst thing that you have, let it take a larger percentage of your media spend. And mm. it's at that point, it is legitimately just a numbers game on time until the broad is the only thing you'll ever need. And at that point, you can abandon targeting holistically forever. Mm. Sometimes that takes two weeks, sometimes that takes two months. And there's nuances to it because you're probably running multiple types of ads to multiple parts of the funnel. You're probably promoting multiple things. You're probably leveraging other stuff and your media mix probably requires you to take advantage of that. So when you start going broad, you're not taking advantage of search in the same way and your emails might perform differently. Mm-hmm. But you got really good at doing the job the wrong way. Doesn't mean when you do it the right way, you're gonna be better. You have to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think most people say, well, I'm running lookalikes, and I'm running broad and my lookalikes just perform better. And I'll, I'll ask them, Well, what happens if you turn off the lookalike? If you stop stealing the the high performance stuff in an audience that will depreciate, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: because that audience will eventually fatigue, which Broad will never do. Um, And you started to invest that learnings into making Broad better, Mm -hmm. instead of investing it into an asset to help it depreciate faster. Like a 1% lookalike is actually a 99% exclusion based on data that you probably don't trust. Like, do you legitimately trust Facebook's data on targeting on like, do you think it's complete on the purchase information or like website visitors or any of that stuff? Like, do you legitimately want to exclude 99% of people that want to see your content? Because the data point that you don't trust. And you're going to find a two million person audience that looks like a data set that you don't trust to exclude the vast majority of people and expect that to be as a depreciating asset a good investment like you're never going to get rich by buying stocks high and selling them low as a standard operating procedure but that's how most people run their ads and that makes no sense
0: Mm. you know it's interesting you yeah you say that i was going to say so our experience with broad um is that the accounts that we work in that have some people i I hate the word season pixel I I don't like it, but, but you get the idea, right? A lot of people, the more we've run, the more spend we run, the larger, the stacks of either it's whether it's stacking things, the broader the audiences you can go until you get to that openness of it. I call them open. You call them broad. So like, um, it is interesting. You, you put it in a good way though, that like, if you were to train your employees one way, and then suddenly the next day you just switch to the other, there's going to be a negative result of that. Right. So you have to like almost train them in gonna take these two or whatever we're gonna do a mass training we're gonna slowly train them into the new way it's an interesting way of putting it. i've never been able to put it like that because we do see that some i will say that some like newer brands that don't have they're starting from scratch let's say nothing in their pixel broad i've seen it annihilate them like it, they just and it could be their ads to be it could be their ads and sometimes when they yeah. go a little bit more refined they get that initial traction but over time we see broad and larger like even stacks of audiences like 238 million it's pretty much the whole us if you stacked everything together you can go we've seen broader really work over time that's a really interesting way of putting it though and
1: yeah I mean, it's thing- ultimately an investment like mm-hmm. do you want to run your business on depreciating assets that increase your cost of advertising over time
2: mm-hmm.
1: or do you want to invest in an appreciating asset that makes it more and more stable and requires less and less management so you can work on what happens after the click wow one of those is infinitely more powerful. And one of them will eventually, if you carry it out to the nth degree, make it so you can't advertise on the platform. That's an interesting perspective. It's a zero-sum game as far as yeah, i understand. That, that's an interesting perspective on that. I,
0: I like that. That's great. Um, one th- So one thing you've said several times now, and I've seen your T-shirts and your perspective on ROAS. Let's talk about that a little bit because ROAS is flaunted, like, oh, we get a 16 or a 10 ROAS or whatever, and they sure. probably sell like one fifty dollar product for five dollars in daily ad spend. Um, why do you why what's what's your hang up in, in in issue with ROAS?
1: Sure. Well, let me ask you this. What is ROAS?
0: Other than return on ad spend? <laughs> yeah, but like how are you Re- defining just simple revenue divided by ad spend?
1: Okay so it's attributed revenue mm-hmm. which to be fair we're not getting attribution credit for everything and multiple channels are taking credit for that sale so it's non incremental highly duplicitous revenue that's not 100% accurate based around the average order value of a customer and somebody could spend 200 today they could spend 20 they could spend 2000 so you can't control the aov or and you have no confidence in the data set divided by the spend today that it took to get the transaction. But how much did you spend to get that customer? Was it five cents? It could be. Was it $700 because you've been targeting them for six months? Mm -hmm. You have no idea. And then basically, so now you're using that as a data point to say, well, Facebook's bringing my, you know, getting this, this credit, but is that actually even good for you? I've seen so many businesses get worse and worse and worse as the ROAS goes up because they're chasing profit margin on Facebook, but it's not incremental. Mm-hmm. And then they say, well, you can't really measure incrementality and attribution, this and that. I'm using different windows. None of that matters. That, that has no bearing on any actual business success or performance. Before digital marketing, people spent plenty and plenty of money, and it had nothing to do with a pixel. Nothing to do with credit for the sale. Yeah. The, when you buy a car, it has nothing to do with the salesperson on the lot. But like, that's not why you walked into Kia today. You know what I mean? Like, so if you're, if the numerator is a number that is not absolute, that you can't control, that is not incremental, that you don't have confidence in, and you're dividing it by a number that doesn't give you actionable insight for future actions.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: At best, it's a retroactive, efficiency measurement that we can't trust. So if neither part of the fraction is actionable data, why are we doing it? And at the end of the day, like, why are we even looking at ROAS anyway? It's to pick what ad to run, pick what ad set to run, what campaign to run. That's not how we should be managing the platform anyway. Like, we need to know, does this ad get more spend? When it gets more spend, what happens to the bottom line of my business across all marketing channels? that has nothing to do with ROAS there's plenty of times where the ROAS goes down because you're feeding top of funnel now you're searching direct and organic and emails and everything climbs so that's great my point is ROAS itself is a fictitious number built to help digital marketing companies take more credit for everybody else's work and it's not actionable hmm. i think it's if you focus on just chasing it you can make your report look good and if you're still in the game as a business evolves and just gets better, you're a rain man doing the rain dance at a used cars lot long enough for it to actually start raining. Mm-hmm. And in my book, that doesn't mean anything.
0: Yeah. Because, I yeah. Oh, so... Um some interesting perspective. So I, I, one thing I say all the time is I say, I see advertising is the tide that raises all boats. So like email looks really good when ad spend goes up, organic Mm -hmm. looks really good, direct, all those things you said, definitely agree on that. As far as like making decisions within the ad account though, how do you, what's your preferred way of making decisions with it, at least on the ad level, like it holistically will rise revenue. But what is that thing that makes me say, kill it, you know, trim it, stack it. Like, what is that? that metric you primarily look at then
1: did it earn spend or more importantly did did, it earned spend how did the media mix of spend change and did my overall performance improve how do you define the performance blended cpa uh profit margin per day acquisition whatever the business objective is so am I trying to acquire new customers? Am I trying to improve uh, acquisition of revenue volume? Am I trying to improve top line, bottom line, whatever that is? Mm-hmm. As my investment portfolio changes, meaning the amount of spend that every ad gets evolves, is that good or bad for me? And if something getting more spend is net bad for my bottom line, well, I know it's bad for me. My bad ad that gets all the spend might be the reason that my Google search is so high. That good ad that gets all the spend might not ever be scalable. And as soon as I try to isolate it, it breaks because it's only good as the 12th touch, but it's getting enough volume because of everything else.
2: Mm.
1: So, yeah. And if you if your ad account is not simple enough to make that insight, then you're setting yourself up to not be able to take actionable. You're not able to take action on the data that you see. So, I would say your ad account architecture is a liability to the success that you want to have because you've set it up in a certain way where you're not able to actually point to the net impact of any dollar spent in any place. And again, if you can't tell me the impact of my investment portfolio on my bank account, why am I giving you any money at all? That's good. Um, I want to
0: just, just because, just kind of to close here. Um, just be respectful of your time. Sure. I, uh, a few different takeaways that I kind of have in here, um, that I think it, it, is, is worthwhile and please expand upon these as I kind of add these. So the first thing I I've kind of seen here is that, uh, it's, there's always gonna be another fear. So as you're going into advertising, as you're growing your business, there's always gonna be that next level. You have to break through that. You have to have mental fortitude for, yeah.
1: um,
0: the second thing I believe, or that I've seen it, it, and you've talked about is that simplicity is better than comp. Simplicity over complexity. Um, too many people yep. are super complex, really diverse, burning themselves out in a lot of different areas and they're wondering why nothing works. And then the last thing you said was really good. It's just, you said net impact. Um, yeah. Blended CPA, uh, some some will look at MERR, some are gonna look at blended CPA. If no one knows what those are, go Google those. Yeah, um, I would say MER the net is,
1: uh, is another fictitious thing that matters, that has no bearing on anything. Um, mm. it, it's a fancy version of ROAS. Um, mm-hmm. MER has no impact on the efficiency of future acquisition. You can't take a marketing efficiency ratio and then project that out because tomorrow the unit economics of attention are going to change. So that also lacks any actionability, just like ROAS does. It's a higher level, so it's a higher quality lie, but it's also ultimately at its core, the same ego based metric that doesn't improve anybody like you'll never watch Shark Tank and say, what's your MER? Yeah. You'll never yeah. see anybody say that. No, like that, because that doesn't matter. Like a good MER is completely dependent on a thousand other things. And honestly, answering those thousand other things makes the question of MER completely useless.
0: Mm. Hmm. One thing they do ask is how much does it cost to acquire a customer? That is one thing sure. that they, uh, they say. Yeah, there's your CPA. Um, Done. Yeah. How, much yeah. your your how much does it
1: cost to use your product? That's your COGS. How much is the customer worth? That's LTV. Boom, there's your PSM. How much more mm-hmm. can you spend to acquire a customer at scale? That's the only question you need to ask. That's profitable scaling margin. And I've got an entire masterclass on that in Disruptor school. So you can run your business like it was a shark tank inside of your school, instead of some 24 year old kid that wants to decide whether or not they wanna do this with the rest of your life and giving them all the money for the future (laughs) of your growth and like struggling when it doesn't work out because you've trusted somebody that has no idea how business works, that has been taught to value their ego over your bottom line. And oh, shocker, like it's not good. (laughs) You just described
0: 98% of marketing agencies. (laughs) agencies.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's That's not a slight. There are very good ones out there. It's just, you got to know what to care about. But yeah, dude, thank you so much. My, my, my handle's down over here. It's at CT the Disruptor. You can also check me out at, at disruptorschool.com. Follow me on all the things. I'm literally on every social media platform posting multiple times a day. Um, and I'm wide open to any questions that anybody has. And if you disagree with anything that I say, you have an alternate take, please challenge me and have that conversation. because that's how i get better and like i'm very open to it and i love it and and as much as i give out i'll take and we'll go out for sushi afterwards i love it one final thing i'm gonna close on and this is actually
0: a quote from you charlie in a recent video you said ultimately i should be dead right now so every day is a gift and I try to give it back and I appreciate you, man, for giving this back to our audience, for giving this to me, man. I appreciate you. If you guys don't follow Charlie, you need to, he is level 100% every single video. And I appreciate that. So man, thanks for being here. Everyone you've been listening to the E-Commerce Alley podcast produced behind the scenes of the legendary Dylan counts, and we'll see you in the next video.